Welcome to The Inside. As families around the world observed holiday traditions this week, the Easter Bunny was busy delivering golden eggs to movie theaters. Godzilla vs. Kong invaded cities and destroyed box office records everywhere to the delight of a movie industry battered by a full year of bad news. The Warner Brothers monster matchup generated more than $300 million in opening weekend ticket sales and demonstrated that the cinema business may be bouncing back fast after being crushed for so long. In response, investors on Wall Street boosted prices of AMC, IMAX, Cinemark, and others. I'm Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and along with me is the co-host for this series, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic and joins us from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Thanks, Jim. Great to be on board here. Wim, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine better news. Here's what Brooks Barnes wrote in the New York Times yesterday. Moviegoers sent a message to Hollywood over the weekend. We're ready to return to theaters and we'll buy tickets even if the same film is available in our living rooms. But we want to leave our grim world for a silly fantasy one. So the box office receipts for Godzilla versus Kong were strong. What do you make of it? I think we're very pleased, you know. On one hand, we did expect it, you know, that as soon as the movies can be open again and we can get the content and good content out there, especially, you know, the tentpoles and the blockbusters, people are gonna gonna go to the movies. Now, I think this weekend was showing that, right? I think we are incredibly bullish about people coming back. Uh, I would caution, of course, you know, it's not because we have one great home run that it's going to be a home run the whole time, but it just means that people... Uh, see a very different experience when they go to the movies. The social experience, the fact of really being in front of a big screen, it is just very different. Uh, many theaters are closed still, and, and a lot of them are still, you know, 25, even 50% open, which means that that's still a lot to come. I think it, it's an important signal, but it's definitely also a good confirmation about the fact that people want to experience something in a different way. The analyst Sean Robbins is quoted as saying, despite an immediate streaming option, this underlines the cultural power and meaning of going to the movies as a communal event. People recognize that this does not exist in the living room. This isn't only a win for the movie, it's also a validation of a broader history and the future of movie going. So, uh, good news. We've got the perfect guest for the day. Absolutely. We are joined this week by a long-term friend and colleague who has been at the heart of the technology conversation in Hollywood, and now spearheads the way of how to approach production in the cloud. As the CTO of Microsoft Azure Media and Entertainment, Hano Bassi, welcome to the show. Hey, great uh, great to see you, Wim and, uh, and Jim. Great to be here. Before joining Microsoft, you, you served for seven years um, as CTO of Fox. What do you believe is going to be the role for cinema in our really increasing online lives, right? Is there still a role for that? And, and how do you see that? So I'm convinced, and I think the, uh, the box office numbers from last weekend kind of seem to confirm that. I'm convinced that cinema is here to stay. First and foremost, there is this social aspect of, of you know, people you know, enjoying this movie together and there's this immersive aspect. But I think in general, if you look at the life cycle of a, of a movie, it's just from a business standpoint, actually, the theatrical release is by far the most financially interesting and feasible for a release. The revenue on a per transaction basis, it is larger, much larger 
than it is for any other type of release uh, pattern. And especially if you go, you know, if you look at subscription models, there the the actual revenue per transaction per title is actually very very low. And so the the business model totally changes. Uh, and the other thing I think that also people overlook often is what a great marketing vehicle theatrical distribution is. You know, you see the posters out there, you go to a mall, you see, you know, the, the cinema, you know, marquee there, you know, advertising this movie. And again, it's a communal experience to go watch it together and then they go out and talk about it together. Because there's also this appointment viewing kind of aspect of it, right? The movie is the biggest during opening weekend. That's when the buzz gets created. That's when the buzz is out there. Opening weekend doesn't really exist when it's online. It just all of a sudden shows up and it has to build this audience over time. You've called it a cultural event. And I like the way I like that concept. So that's really what you're saying here, right? Yeah. It becomes something that is a part of all of our cultural discussion. It's culture. Yeah, because uh, it's this social aspect of it, right? It's not something that you do in the confines of your home. It's something that you do as part of the community. And I think that is a huge difference. And you said that financially, the very best return is for a feature film to do well at cinemas. Yeah. Um, that is even more significant than really sit on a, on a streaming platform? Yeah, because, um, you know, we see this very, you know, when I was at Fox, very typical pattern that people see the movie first in the movie theater and then watch it again at home and buy the Blu-ray or, or whatever it was at the time. Right. You don't necessarily see that on streaming platforms, right? Because as soon as that movie is done, they'll show you something else to watch. And so the repeat viewing and repeat viewing, again, builds buzz, it builds, you know, uh, a story around this particular title, which you can't get less when you when it's online. Are there movies that you have seen that you think, I wish I could see this in a movie theater? I got to say pretty much all of them. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I, I wish I would have seen them all in uh, in a theater. That's that's what they're made for. I mean, if you look at a, a title like The Trial of the Chicago 7 or Mank or Nomadland or uh, all, all the ones that are, you know, nominated, for example, for Best Picture, uh, they were all made for the big screen. I, w- I would have loved to see them on the big screen. Wim, you have said that uh, you feel that as a technology company, you're also in the emotion business, right? You're helping Hano's teams uh, create emotion. It's it's a cultural experience. We talked about it before, but it's an experience. And that means that bringing that emotion to life, and if you can do that by having a stunning visual presentation or you have that with an immersive sound, that's for me uh, the big difference than, than watching a great you know uh, TV set at home or being in a theater sitting in the movie, right? And and that that is the day and night difference just from an experience point of view. And that emotion, we have to bring that out. And I think that, that the directors are very keen on that. But also we as, as technology companies want to make sure that we can help the director uh, telling his story and, and making technologies which allows that emotion to come across. Tano, for much of your career, whether it's DirecTV or ProSieben or Fox, you have been someone who is involved in presenting in a very, very good way storytelling Wim's, your process has been partnering to make sure that the technology is there to present or project that. How closely, uh, Hano, do you and a and and someone like Wim or a company like Cineonic mm-hmm. work when you're trying to achieve technical excellence? A uh, little less so uh, 
in my role here at Microsoft because it's a lot of it right now, especially is about uh, getting you know production workflows into the cloud. But obviously, when I was the CTO at 20th Century Fox, uh, we worked very closely with Wim and, and his team at Barco. Uh, in fact, we actually collaborated on a on a very innovative new way to present movies in theaters uh, using production technology. Uh, Tell us about that. Wim, this is public knowledge, right? We can talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, right? you can. Yeah. <laughs> These days back from our from our dinner we had in Lille, right? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so well, well, Okay. So you two had dinner and hatched an idea. That's right. It wasn't actually me. It was one of my team members at uh, at Fox, Arjun Reverend Murthy. He actually discovered this little startup uh, based in Vancouver, Canada, uh, and they had invented this technology called light steering technology. And what it basically is, is you take, if you look at projection today, you have a lot of light hitting, you know, either the the film strip or, you know, the, the digital imager and only the light that actually passes through to the screen actually, you know, creates the image. And so a lot of that light that projector uh, generates is actually reflected and uh, thrown away. And so what they've come up with is actually you kind of harness all that light that the projector lamp creates and uh, generates and redistribute it across the screen, you know, where the, where the bright parts are and take it away from where the dark parts are. And so we found we found that technology and we're like, oh my God, we need to bring this together with a, you know, established projection company. And so we thought of Baco, then we, okay, who do we need to talk to? And they, they said, Hano, you got to go and meet this guy, Wim Bayans. And so it took the TGV from Paris to Lille, which is across the border from Kortrijk, where Barco is based in Belgium. And so we met at this nice uh, seafood restaurant in the heart of Lille, and the rest is history. I mean, we literally hit it off right away. I want to pick this up with Wim, but let's just explain for the audience. If we go to a movie theater and a rocket ship is taking off the surface of Mars, the fire coming out of the bottom of the rocket requires an enormous amount of light. And this technology said, we, we have a projector that can save energy by putting the light where it's needed in this scene, but we don't have to project it on the entire scene. So it makes it more energy efficient to do it that way. So your team discovers this capability. You make your way to dinner with Wim and Wim, what happens at dinner? We were looking at that company because it was something which, you know, they were very, their technology is really based on projection technology. And that's really, that's our bread and butter, if you want. We had a close look at them and then, and then we realized that that Hano's team also, you know, looked at them from, you know, for us from a custom point of view. So I think what, what came there together was, was the two of us just explaining what it could be, right? If we would bring this together, if the film uh, industry would embrace this new technology, and then if the technology company called Barco here could, would be able to commercialize that and then bring that for a price that, of course, it's affordable. And, and I think that has led to we acquired the company. And as we speak, we are developing a solution. And of course, the pandemic maybe has slowed us a little bit down. We had an, um, a fantastic demonstration set, which was CinemaCon a few years ago. And when you see then that those colors lighting up like you've never seen before, so vivid. And then we also had immersive sound there. It was just a whole different experience, right? And and I remember we showed it time after time for, for different audiences there, and that was just a prototype. So right now, we're in the process of bringing it uh, into a commercial version uh, that it can go to uh, to the theaters and, and and probably to some of the premium settings first. But what I liked very much and, and was the fact that Han and myself, we came together and that from a technology and from seeing the customer application. And I think uh, Han was very, 
vivid saying from this needs to happen because we need HDR, right? We need a better picture quality. And with this, we can do it in an efficient way because if you look at laser today, it saves you 60 plus percent of, of energy, right? With light steering, it even, you know, saves you double of that even. So we can double of the saving and we can lift up the brightness 10 times on the places where we want them. And so the inefficiencies of the projection systems, you get around that with this technology. Uh, and I think that that was great to, um, uh, it's a little bit of, I'll call the co-creation uh, from the idea. And then of course, uh, being able to uh, uh, to bring it out later. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, but the story's not finished yet, right? So, <laughs> and I think it's also, it was a very logical step for us to take because, you know, we were working with the other studios and the UHD Alliance on high dynamic range content for the home. And it was pretty clear that we also needed uh, an equivalent solution for the theater. There's obviously uh, LED panels uh, that you could use for that, but it, they come with a lot of limitations. And what we really liked about this technology here is that it's uh, it's so compatible with projection technology, which means it's compatible with everything that goes on in the in a movie theater. You can adjust the the image size to to your room size, you know, whether it's flat, whether it's a scope, doesn't matter. You just put a different lens on the front of the projector uh, and uh, you're up and running. And so, so it, it's, I'm still looking forward to, to seeing movies that way. Like, like Wim said, uh, we actually created a number of, of titles on this technology, uh, including some titles that I would die to be able to tell you, but the director is going to have my head if I do. Uh, so wonderful stuff. And so really looking forward to uh, to seeing that it co come to life in theaters. It's it's really, it's a very high contrast, vivid image. Uh, and as you know, Hollywood here gets their heads around HDR in, in the home. I think, you know, bringing it to theaters now is going to make a big difference. And like I said, again, directors think about what this thing is going to look like in a movie theater. Cinematographers, that's what they think about. And so having actually a theatrical solution for HDR, I think is going to generate that mind shift to think HDR first. Our guest today is Hanno Bossi. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Cineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Hanno Bassi is our guest today. He's a longtime colleague whose own journey has included senior roles at DirecTV, Fox, and now Microsoft Azure. Where do you think we as an industry could do a better job or what kinds of issues are we all going to need to be collaborating on going forward to, uh, to serve the best interests of everybody? I think the journey to the cloud has started and there's no going back. I think what the pandemic did just accelerate this trend in my uh, last year at, at Fox, uh, we helped, uh, we collaborated with the other studios and with Movie Labs to create the uh, Movie Labs 2030 paper. So I'm one of the authors, authors there. And at that time, you know, we were talking about, okay, what does production in the cloud look like? What are the top line kind of requirements and expectations that the studio have uh, for content production in the cloud? 
And we put all that together and we called it the Movie Labs 2030 paper because we thought what we'd written there, you know, would come to uh, to full fruition and uh, to reality uh, by about 2030. Now we all realize we should have called it the 2023 paper because, you know, everything is is, is has been accelerated in, in such a significant way. And, and so production in the cloud, uh, distribution in the cloud is here to stay long term, like, like we just said, uh, a lot of workloads are going to migrate into into cloud infrastructure because it's just more economical, it's more secure, uh, it's also more flexible. Uh, so for example, right now, studios are looking, like I said, into virtual production. There's a lot of you know infrastructure decisions that need to be made. And if you do all this on-prem and you make the wrong decision, okay, then maybe a year from now, all your infrastructure is obsolete. You have to toss it out and, and acquire you know a new set of infrastructure. If you do all this on the cloud, you don't have to ha have that problem, you know, from one project to the next, or even within a project, you know, a server type doesn't work for you. Okay. You just su switch your subscription to another server type and, or another GPU type or whatever, or type of storage or whatever it is, and just use that. Hanno, do you see a future where virtually everything is in the cloud? Is this really a transition that's going to be all encompassing? Yes, I do believe so. And uh, one of the key reasons for that is that, like we said, technology is going to advance further, but also the requirements for great content creation and all kinds of other work workloads, by the way, not just in the media industry. I think we're going to see them do the compute requirements for those to become so large that it's just not going to be feasible to have any of this, uh, this, this compute technology on premises, let alone at somebody's home. We can already see the next generation of, of, of gaming, for example, is not going to use consoles anymore because they're, they're just too limited in what they can do. Uh, you'll just dial into a, you know, a cloud account. I should have said dial in. You're logging into a, uh, a cloud account that basically uh, have the game rendered from there. And you just have a thin uh, client uh, you know, that you know, allows you to view the game and, and, and get your, your, your control uh, data back. There has been so much uh, discussion in the press and the media about these security breaches. And the studios know very much that there are a lot of people who would love to get a look at what they're working on. How does, how does cloud, how do you work with people to assure security for their content? That's actually something else I think that the industry has, has come to understand and to embrace is that cloud technology isn't the open internet, right? Cloud technology actually, because of the scale, is inherently a lot more secure than anything that anybody can do, you know, on a studio lot or uh, let alone on a set. It's really a question of scale, uh, right? When we were at Fox, we did have a cybersecurity team, but that was maybe a couple of dozen people. At Microsoft, our cybersecurity team, it's probably several thousand people that work on that team. Wow. And so it's just orders of magnitude different in terms of, you know, from a technology development perspective, what we can do in terms of security, but also the, the the scale allows us to deploy security solutions that would just not be very feasible for for individual com companies because they're just too expensive and too labor intensive to maintain uh, and all that. And then especially now also with machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, coming into the picture, we see that again, where our AI and ML capabilities really help us toward uh, 
cybersecurity threats in a major way, and we we can leverage this a lot better than individual companies can do. It, it seems as if, uh, and when let's bring you in on this also, it seems as if during this crisis that even competitive organizations have found ways to talk with each other about how they're solving these problems because they realized that they had bigger problems to face than each other's competitive advantage. Do you see opportunities, Wim, for people as an industry to collaborate and communicate what they're doing? No, 100%, right? We see that also uh, with our customers, right? I think everybody today is is want to wanna learn, right? Everybody today want to wanna upskill. Everybody today want to want to figure out how do we going to get together through this and and if you bring this collective knowledge together and and the brain power always say you can you can do much more right and and I think that I see multiple examples wh- where that is happening but I would even advocate that we have to do that more if you want to get the exhibition the cinema industry you know back in gear we're going to have to be collectively work on this right and it's not about competing against each other we all have a duty I think on how can we make sure we get people back to the cinema how can we make sure we we make it affordable that people can watch, you know, a stunning experience, a wow experience, because that's why they're coming back to the theaters. Things like that, we're going to have to think about. Think about the customer versus just thinking about the competition place. And I think if you do that collectively, we're going to create a much better industry and a much more sustainable industry over time. Yeah, and if I can add to that, I mean, that's also a good tradition in Hollywood, actually, that the studios typically work very well together when it comes to standardizing or advancing technology because at the end of the day we all want to for example distribute our movies to the same movie theaters and this week it's a Warner movie next week it's a Fox movie uh or Disney movie on that particular projector so so just from that perspective you know things have to work together and uh as we are migrating production workflows to the cloud i think there's there's also this realization that uh on the production side where, where there has been less standardization in the past that that standardization needs to happen because otherwise nobody is really going to reap the full benefits of migrating production to the cloud. So I think as part of the cloud migration, we're going to see a certain amount of standardization when it comes to workflows, when it comes to file formats and uh, asset nomenclature, asset ontologies. We're in the middle of these discussions with uh, various industry groups as well as with the studios and you know tool vendors and, and so on and so forth. Is there a silver lining in what we've all been through the last year? I sure hope so. Typically, you know, good things come out of these. Uh, and here it's, I think, an appreciation for your fellow fellow human being, what, it, what social contacts actually mean and how important they are. But also there's flexibility. You know, we don't have to be glued, you know, to a desk at a, in an office space that we, we can actually pri- provide our coworkers uh, and our, our colleagues, you know, more more flexibility in, in where they work and when they work. I think that's clearly going to stay. Wim, is there a silver lining to this? It's interesting also when I look in, inside of my family, right? Look at my parents being 80 plus, right? They, they are they are reinventing for them the, the value of hugging as an example, right? So, so the fact that you, you're not allowed to, yeah. to you know, touch each other anymore, hug each other anymore. So so the basic values, I think, is, is something which is really bringing us back to our core. So in that sense, I, I think it, it's... It's been a tough kind of, you know, last 12 months probably. But at the same token, I, people really uh, learned to appreciate what's important to them. And, and I think that that's, and, and maybe moviegoing could be one of them. But uh, but no, in general, so, so so what family means, what it means to come together, when you come together, that that with friends and, and 
uh, and colleagues and so on. It is important. So, so those are really true human values, which I think is, you know, it, it's it's not a business silver lining, but it's a human being silver lining, which I really uh, uh, felt is is uh, is there. Yeah. Well, you both have touched on the value of shared experience Absolutely. with other human beings, and that really much is very much what watching entertainment, watching a movie, is all about. This has been fantastic. Thank you, Hanno, for coming on. It's been great to have you, and thank you, Wayne. It was great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Thanks guys. Our quote of the day comes from Iveth Vaccaio, who brought her eight-year-old to the movies this weekend. When asked by the New York Times about the experience of coming back to a theater, she said, COVID has made us appreciate this kind of thing more. Sure, you can get the same movie at home, but not the same experience. Her son, Jaden, said, when the next Venom comes out, I want to see it on the biggest screen. Join us next time when our insider will be Jason Brennick, CEO of MetaMedia and a longtime Disney and IMAX veteran. Until then, thank you for joining us and we'll see you at the movies. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.